0: Welcome to another edition of Hit the Lights. I have a very special guest with me today. I have Mr. Ryan Dempsey. How are we?
1: I'm very good. I'm very good. Um thanks for inviting me on this. It's um it's really good. Obviously you you've popped up and we're seeing these podcasts out in the industry and um I'm I'm glad that I've been invited into this one. So
0: yeah, no, definitely. Um it's great to get yourself on and hopefully probably complete the collection and get all the E5 guys on <laughs> it, at some point. <laughs> do it as a It's a tall, set.
1: It's a, it's a tall <laughs> ask. Trying to get us all on at once. Um it'd be nice. I think it would be it would be nice, but um it's a tall ask at the moment.
0: Yeah, no, I can appreciate that. Um so obviously there may be there may be someone out there listening who doesn't know who Ryan Dempsey is um can you tell us how you came to enter the industry
1: okay um that's a, that is a bold statement i'm sure there's many people who don't know who i am <laughs> um, although recently we have had our, our faces plastered all over the professional electrician magazines and stuff and, and we we have done quite a few talks but uh, so i i used to be in the military um i was i was in the royal navy royal marines and then branched across to um, I, I then left and became a police officer in Yorkshire so the electrical industry wasn't my wasn't my initial choice it wasn't the choice that I would have, have gone for straight from school uh, I, I followed my brother's footsteps to be honest with you he went into the military and then I just thought that that was the right thing to do because my older brother had done it mm. uh, when I When I left um, the police and I I hold my hand up, the amount of respect I have for some of my friends who are still in there, uh, I just couldn't do it. Some of the things that they have to deal with, uh, my heart's too big to to block it out. So I I decided I didn't want to didn't want to do it after my my two years time. And I, I went into a bit of a limbo state where I didn't fully know what I wanted to do. And it's interesting because I was talking to Paul about this recently and I remember going to the drone board, the, the, the virtual drone board and thinking, what should I do? And I remember as a kid, I used to take all my dad's um, electronic equipment to bits. I used to take the stereo to bits when it wasn't even broken. Um, and then I could never put it back together again. And, and my dad would hate me for it. So I'd, I'd, I broke thousands of pieces of equipment. But I remember I really enjoyed it. So I, I went to Leeds College uh, of Technology and requested to be put on an electronics course. Um, mm-hmm. I got interviewed for it. I got accepted Um I'm obviously a mature learner at the time so I had to pay for it all somehow um, I then started the course and about three or four weeks in realized they hadn't put me on an electronics course they put me on the electricians course I went I was, I was doing the two three three oh and at that point I thought well I'm here now I've paid for it uh, so I completed it I went through the, the few years at college and volunteered into a lot of electrical firms around the north of england where my brother worked and um, he's a plumber he was a plumber at the time um so i went through college uh, and volunteered my time got my qualifications uh so to answer your question i fell into the electrical industry it was not my um it was a mistake to be honest with you
0: right okay a happy mistake
1: <laughs> <laughs> um no i just something i've always said is uh when I qualified, I remember I jumped into some insurance companies uh, doing uh, rewires after insurance claims, and I, I kind of was thrown right into the thicker things straight from straight from college. Luckily, a lot of people don't, but I thought, and I remember there's a lot of people around me were saying, you can't you can't just go through college and then call yourself an electrician. You need the physical um, you need the physical skill as well. You need to be able to do the work college can show you some but you don't get the experience on site and and that's where the apprenticeship sits a lot higher than the mature learner route i think because although mature mature learners are more dedicated to the craft and dedicated to passing because they have mortgage bills they have kids to feed and stuff so they're more uh, driven if that makes sense Mm. they don't get that practice Experience and and I remember everyone was saying to me, You need to go and just do work with companies, even if you're giving it for free. So I was relatively driven in that sense. So when I I left and started doing work for this insurance company, it didn't take long for me to go from from a practice and electrician, probably did it for about a year and a half. And then I was just shoehorned into supervisory positions and management positions. And it was always the ongoing joke on site where, um, or ryan dempsey or the spark yeah that's that spark who doesn't act like a spark he acts like a manager and it was the kind of the policeman in me i think mm-hmm. everyone used to always say you're not you're not a real spark you you should be wearing a suit you should have a shirt and tie on and and i've always had that because of just the way i communicate with people so i, I moved relatively quickly into into management positions and and managed electrical work rather than kind of doing the physical work so um, mm-hmm. and i do i do enjoy it i there's part of our industry but I imagine it's the same with any industry that uh, that really kind of boil my my blood um but all in all uh, there's there's some really good people in this industry and there's some really there's some really brain melting things to learn it's, it's not an easy craft and you you do need to dedicate some time to to kind of understanding it so no it's, it's a good industry mm-hmm.
0: So when you say uh, you were in the insurance element what what did that entail what how would did you fit into the physical installations through insurance?
1: So what happens is when uh, a few years back we had well I say a few years probably about 10 years now we had uh, a lot of really bad weather across Yorkshire and there was a lot of floods if you remember mm. and because they were floods they were coming up to kind of two or three meters in people's houses they were just blown all the electrics and they had to go in and chase out a meter to two meter of plaster off, off the ground floor and then properties just needed a full rewire. So with insurance, what would happen is um, someone would claim through their insurance and initially they'd send me out to do a a full test. I'd go and do a full test and obviously the resistance readings would be massive because it's all, most of it's underwater or some of it was underwater still and it was all damp and, um, nine times out of 10 installations would fail because a good example is if you if you rewire a house and then plaster it and if you did if you if your second fix sparky came in after it just been plastered all of your readings would be slightly higher or lower than expected because it's picking up the water in the in the the fabric of the building that was what we were getting when it was flooded so all the results would all fail and Mm. They naturally just turned into rewires or you would rewire the downstairs element. It depends on what insurance company. Some some insurance companies would say, we just want you to fix what's damaged. And some would say, no, no, renew the whole installation. And that's kind of what I did for for a long time.
0: OK, so that developed into you, like managing teams and properties and things like that.
1: Yeah. So we we I moved into a supervisor role. Uh, strangely enough, the, the company I worked for was a company called Rock. And it didn't take long for them to put me as the face of rock. So I was the electrician on all of the magazines. They invited me down to London to talk to Lloyd's Banking because they were looking for investment to expand their business. And I was the face of that. I was the person who did a presentation on what it was like to work for rock. Um, So they, they put me into that position relatively quickly and from that I then sort of supervised quite a lot of the guys I got an apprentice which I took him through his first year just teaching him some of the basics um and then I was uh, when that that ended the the rock job ended I I was in Vegas I was in Las Vegas with my wife and we were it was the middle of the night and my brother called me and said have you seen the news I was like well Unless it's an international news, Darren. Um, I'm currently in my bed in in Las Vegas looking at the strip. He says, well, you haven't got a job to come back to. So that was really kind of you to do, Darren. Thanks for ringing me when I'm just about to get up and go on a helicopter trip around the Grand Canyon. (laughs) Um, So I found out I'd lost my job because the company went into administration uh, whilst I was in Vegas. And then when I came back, uh, I I set up on my own. I just was... uh, self-employed Sparky just kind of through agencies and stuff and then I was headhunted from Leeds City Council which is where I then went to manage properties.
0: Okay so did you spend a lot of time before you were headhunted actually uh, for them to recognize you was there anything you did to get noticed by them or was it your work at Rock that got you noticed?
1: No I when I was when I was working for myself, I literally did everything from working in hospitals, universities, containment, uh, CCTV, fire alarms. Um, the majority of it was second fixing and testing uh, new blocks of flats in Leeds and, and surrounding areas. And a company who was doing testing for, for Leeds City Council got in touch with me and says, is there any chance you could help us get our approved contractor status through the NIC? And I said, I thought I needed to be employed by you to do that. And they said, well, we'll put you on the books if you get us through our assessment. So I, I was on their books, got them through approved contractor. And as part of that, I did some testing for them. And that mm-hmm. testing was for Leeds City Council. And right. the, the electrical manager at the time, um, he got in touch with me and he said, uh, I've got another contractor working for Is there any chance you could have a look at some of their documents and just tell me if they're right? And he handed me a document and said he'd found three or four faults with this periodic inspection. Um, And I handed it back with him with about 30 problems with it. And he just looked at me and said, no, I need somebody like you working for us. And and that's how it happened. Just. All
0: right, okay, naturally developed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So from then you went into working in the social housing within Leeds uh, Council then?
1: Yeah, so Leeds City Council didn't take me long to go from um, an agency QS I'd say or QS I was checking the the information that was coming back from contractors and I was doing physical audits on some of the work and within a year I'd gone up to the manager position of a company called West Northwest Homes which was an almo of Leeds City Council so Leeds City Council split into four almos and that was one of them and at the time we managed 21,000 properties and then Leeds City Council brought all the almos together and I was, uh, I was successful in getting the job to cover the whole city. And I was the electrical manager for 57,000 properties. I managed the budgets for, uh, for lightning conductors, periodic inspection, uh, repairs, electrical repairs, uh, pat testing, communal ventilation, fire risk assessments, Legion, LS soil stacks, controlled access, controlled entry, um, emergency lighting you name it it came Mm. under the budget came under me to to manage the the service and maintenance so
0: right okay so so in terms of that role were you more were you quite hands-on with the technical aspect of that or did you end up going into the more management side of the the role
1: i've always been a hands-on person i've always been it would be very easy for me to have sat behind a desk and just controlled a team of people to go out and, and feed me information but I, I've always been the type of person that if a contractor called me up and says I'm currently at a, a property in the, the main incomer to this building, this high-risk building, high-rise building, um, there seems to be a problem with the Bemco unit coming into the system. Is there any chance you can come and have a look? I was always the person who wouldn't turn to a member of the team and say, go and have a look at that and feedback to me. I'd just get up and I'd go and um, deal with it myself. So mm-hmm. much so that we, we had an issue in one of the high-rise buildings. It was over Christmas and I remember I got a phone call about 2 o'clock in the morning and they said... We've got a PR nightmare because there's been a a flood in the the pump house outside this high-rise building. And within most social housing, to get the water up 10 floors, you obviously need a pumping station to pump the water that high up. Mm -hmm. And some genius had come and and disconnected the three-phase board that was supplying all the equipment in this pump house and just left the three-phase board on the floor and just capped everything off. Caps probably the wrong word, but just isolated everything. Mm -hmm. and. At Two o'clock in the morning, I'm stood there putting this three phase board back on the wall to get the pumping station back on so that in the morning, the Yorkshire Post didn't have us all over the news saying uh, 20 residents woke up this morning without any water. So, um, so, yeah, I was hands on. I always have been.
0: Mm. So where where did that, obviously, people familiar with yourself, obviously know that you've ended up with the compliance workbook, which is, I believe it's your own company. Is that correct?
1: It is. Yes. Yeah. So. so
0: so how, how did that transition from working within the social housing to where you are now?
1: So, so TCW is a really interesting thing for me because during that story that we've just talked about, when I worked for the contract, when I was made redundant or when the company went into administration, I started working for myself. I, I remember going to this company that were doing a lot of testing in, and I was sat in my sat in my living room floor one time and my wife was sat watching EastEnders and I'll never forget it. And I, I was having a, a proper moan about the fact that every single document I was looking at, I was looking at the same thing. And I was thinking, I'm looking to see who the engineer was. I'm looking to whether or not the information's right. I'm checking the address, the postcode, because that's what the client wants. But then I'm also going to the circuits page And I'm checking for C1s, C2s, C3s, FIs. I'm looking for the maximum permitted ZS, the insulation resistance. I'm just looking for things that are failing on that document. Mm. Then I'd move that document aside and I'd check the same thing on the next one. And I remember saying to my wife at the time, wouldn't it be good if I could create a way of automatically doing this so that I knew which of these documents were okay and which of these documents weren't okay I said because if we could do that we could then pinpoint who the bad engineers are and the good engineers are and Mm. then for me as a supervisor or a manager I could spend more of my time trying to address the things that are actually wrong rather than sitting here looking at wasting my time looking at things that are right and and I kind of just forgot about it at that time because it was only a few documents but then when I came to Leeds I was doing three and a half thousand documents a month Mm. and then obviously there was six and a half thousand gas documents and You're just awash with data. Um, And I remember I remember seeing to somebody, is there any way we can do it? And somebody said to me, you can't you could do it if you had a certificate and software tool because you already have the data. So it's easy to do it that way. Um, The problem you've got is there's hundreds of different certificate and software out there. And every single what people don't realize is if you have um, if you have Electroform or if you have um, EasyCert or Amtec, if you create a PDF document on Amtec using a, a Mac iOS device, the PDF creation tool will create it different to if you did that exact same document on a Windows PC or a Windows document or an iPad or, a, or a, another Android device. So the hardest thing you've got is being able to get access to the data when you have multiple different types of PDFs. And at Mm -hmm. the time somebody said to me that's physically impossible to do. I even approached Leeds City Council's ICT team at the time and said to them, Is there any way you could do this? And and they said it's physically impossible. You can't you can you can use something called OCR, which is a is a um, optical character recognition which is what your eyes do when you look at data on a piece of paper you, you know that that's a t you know that that's a, an o and you know that that's a p and putting all of those together you know that that says top but for a computer to do that the computer needs to understand more logic and um, give you an example of why a computer can't read a hundred percent of data so if if I said to you put that trophy in that suitcase you already know that a trophy can fit in a suitcase but a computer doesn't know what a trophy is it doesn't know that a suitcase is something you can put something in so it's a lot harder to to teach a computer to interpret data than it is for a human to interpret data so because of that I was told it's physically impossible to create what you want uh, being a type of person who doesn't take no for an answer. Um, I found a mad scientist who are now my business partners and I said to them shouldn't we just try it anyway shouldn't we see if we can do it and and that was the beginning of what we've got we've we've created a piece of technology now that we we read over 400 different types of pdfs we get 100% of the data Um, we're 100% confident that that information that comes out is the information that's on the document and we don't use OCR at all we've we've actually created our own algorithms is probably the, the word that people would use but we've got our own kind of secret ingredient that pulls the data out and then once you've got that data you simply apply rules like regulations to check it.
0: Right okay so you were developing this in the background whilst all the time working for uh, Leeds City Council and then that was there a point where you took the jump and yes. decided this this was ready for for the market?
1: So I when I started creating it, I was doing it in my own time. After after being told it was impossible, I decided to start creating it. I do my job, and I'm I'm very passionate about being very good at what I did. So that didn't it didn't hinder that job at all. So we we managed to keep the ship afloat with Leeds City Council. But then when I got home on an evening, I was constantly on the phone with the dev guys, kind of putting this all together, and. We knew we had something when I got a phone call from a, a, a big company. I won't name them. A big, big company and said, uh, we've heard you trying to develop this. Can we come and have a word with you? And I said, yeah, anytime, anytime you want. And they, they came up to Leeds on a Saturday and I went and sat with them. And somebody said to me, what do you want from this? What's your ultimate goal, Ryan? And I said, well, I've got two hundred and fifty thousand pound left on my mortgage. I says, if I can clear that, I'll be happy. He got his checkbook out and wrote a check for £250,000 and slid it across the table to me mm. and said, I'll let you steer the chief executive, but give me this product. And at that point, something triggered in the back of my head where I thought, hang on, I haven't sold this to anybody yet. And somebody's just offered me quarter of a million pounds for it. Um, and then obviously we, we, we built it. We've we got a few customers coming on. Uh, we then white labeled it with a, a very well-known brand in the market. And we pushed that out through social housing. And today we've got 60 providers that use the software. We've got over a million properties registered on it. And last month we did 64,000 gas documents and 22,000 electrical EICRs.
0: Right. Okay. So do you manage those like through contracts or do you still do it on a per certificate basis?
1: Um, It's contracts. So each client will give us the list of properties they manage and they will get a license. Uh, Our licenses range from one year to five years. Uh, Some of them are on five year licenses Um, and that gives them unlimited uploads kind of moving forward. A lot of clients then pay for historical data because we can read all of the historical stuff and we can give them benchmark figures. We can tell them what's been been doing well and how they've been doing in bad and we can give them all their asset information. So a lot of clients throw a couple of years' worth of electrical documents in and a year's worth of gas documents in, and that gives them a really good insight into where to, to put their funds the following year so they know where to start spending money.
0: All right, okay. So how how does the software work then um, in terms of you, you put your certificate in, it'll evaluate the compliance of the figures, potentially the, the cross-checking of you know the tick sheets and the information detail within so does it output a report at the
1: end yeah so we we classify each document either red amber green and of that we then pinpoint all of the results and each client it's it's amazing because each client is different in the results that uh, in the rules that they want to apply so we're we're not a a company that will tell you that a document is right or wrong to the regulations but we will We will put the basic checks in there or we will put what we believe is compliance in there. But then people may come, for instance, here's a good example. If you have an EICR that comes in and we're checking 300 calculations on that document, but one of those checks might not be, um, check the circuit designation for solar PV. If there's a solar PV system installed in that dwelling then we want to then have an additional check that on the third page where it says number of sources in the supply that can't have one in it that needs to have two because you've got right. the distribution supply in your solar pv so we then just switch that rule on because we then we can have that rule applied to it. but that's not a regulatory rule that's not a rule that's going to make that a compliant or a non-compliant document that is client specific it makes no difference to the safety of that installation it's just the industry's always put one in there because there's never really been a need to put two in there Mm. but people might want to check that um so we can we can apply specific checks we can we can look for the designation and if it says uh, shower we can pinpoint whether or not it's got an rcd uh we can then look at the estimated age of an installation and if it's 30 years and it hasn't got any rcd we can prompt and tell them that it's a potential um 16th or 15th edition installation and it could It could need rewiring. It's not non-compliant because it still applies. It's still being fitted as the regs back then. But to help you out, it would make sense for you to rewire it. So we can apply many different rules that are specific to clients. It doesn't necessarily have to be a set number of rules.
0: Okay, you know, that's interesting because obviously with the the water industry where I'm from, obviously a lot of the regulations that we have supersede and are probably a bit stricter than the likes of uh, the regs. Yeah. Um, an example being uh, like if you have TT and rods and stuff like that, the maximum measurement we're allowed is 10 ohms, not 200. Oh, right, OK. Um, and in some instances, like you're allowed one and you're not allowed to use structural steelwork um, or rebar or anything like that for earthing purposes. And you have to, you know, intrinsically safe, separate stuff. And so it's quite that, that sounds a very interesting um, software. So from. Obviously, the compliant workbook, obviously, that's gone strength to strength. And in the middle of there as well, you obviously set up and been a founding member of E5.
1: I did. Not only that, I'm also the chairman of the electrical safety roundtable for social housing. Yeah. You like a full plate? <laughs> I do like a full plate. The one thing that I really appreciate within within the industry and a lot of people think that to do extra stuff, you need to be paid for it. And I'm, I'm of a different opinion. E5 is not something that I ever want to be commercialized and I know Paul doesn't want it to be commercialized and and the other guys don't want it either and the reason why we don't want it commercialized is when I first met Paul back in 2013 it might have been or 15 I can't remember exactly I, I when I worked for Leeds City Council I shouted very loud to the industry that I was getting really fed up of people saying to me and it was one phrase that got me really annoyed and it was when I would go to I would go to a contractor and say I need a piece of pyro changed on this outside light and every single time I would have a sparky would say to me I'm not I don't work on three phase I'm a domestic spark only and I said to him there's no such thing as a domestic spark the principles of Ohm's law and adp equations and all of these power factor try all of these they don't there isn't one for domestic and one for commercial it's electrical principles or electrical principles and you are taught to understand resistance resist all of, you're taught to understand an electrical system it's not determined by what i always got i'm not a, i'm a domestic spark i don't work on three fears and i got myself really annoyed sent an email to the iet I said, public safety is something you need to consider. I was invited down to London. I went into a room filled with some of the very senior people in our industry. And I was asked, well, how would you fix this? What would you do to rectify this problem? And I said at the time, you need to create a registration mark. You need to create something kind of like Enge Tech And I said to them, you need to push forward and have a registration mark, something that people can be inspired to achieve and gain. And um, subsequently, that was taken a little bit further. And, and now ENG is a royal charter and there's a registered electrician. And that's all been born out of my my original email and, and me pushing all of this forward. And during that process in, in April 15, I think it was, I was asked by the IET if I could fill a room of people who would be interested to see who have the same view as me about the industry. And then I received this email from this guy from a rail sector from DLRC and I've seen something on social media. Can I get an invite, please? And I thought rail it's a bit weird. Um, it's a social housing event. But I said yes to him anyway. And he came up to Leeds and he sat in front of me. And at, right at the end of my talk, he clapped and he was the only person to clap. And then he, he stood up. He walked over to me, introduced me as Paul mean, and And the first thing I noticed was this London Underground badge on his chest and it had E5 written on it and i said to him what just explain to me that what that is and he says within within his environment where he works down in london if you don't have letters after your name people won't engage with you people won't people don't trust other people and he decided to create his own little cohort of people who he would give this badge to and he said to so anybody else if you have this badge on and you go into a meeting and someone else has that badge on You can rest assured that that person has your interests at heart and that person will help you out. And I said at the time, I said, that sounds like an amazing idea. We should drive that into the rest of the electrical industry. And so we did. And that's where we are now. We've got, there's thousands of people who constantly email us saying, if it wasn't for you, I'd have left the industry. I'm so happy that people like you who are standing up and kind of defending us. When we first started, we were, we, Me particularly, I wouldn't say I was an angry spark. I I prodded a lot of beasts, probably a little bit too aggressively. I probably was a little bit too sharp and too forward with a lot of organizations. Uh, Learned a lot from that. I've learned a lot that those dogs, if you constantly drive at people and constantly criticize how organizations run their business without fully understanding their business, all you do is close doors. You don't get anywhere, and uh, and I think I've learned that the hard way. I think, and it's um, well, no, e 5s strength to strength. We 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 obviously got the podcast. We've got a, a really big announcement coming shortly, which is which I think the whole industry will appreciate, and and it, it it expresses kind of who E5 are better than anything else could. So it's uh, it'll be interesting when we're finally allowed to speak about that.
0: Very good. When are you expecting to make
1: that announcement? um was that too much pressure <laughs> there's a call next week to talk about it um and, and my intent is to get a date for that Um it might be next week it might be a little bit longer but it's um our, our whole intent for, for e5 is to support people and this is probably the best thing that could have ever happened to e5 and and demonstrates our ethos better than anything else so hopefully we can hopefully we can shout about it next week if not next week it'll be in the it'll be in the near future
0: okay well i'll look forward to that so you kind of you kind of touched on it in terms of challenges and stuff but what's been one of the most challenging things you've found in the industry if we haven't already touched on it
1: Uh, the biggest problem we've got in the electrical industry is is the the what's the right term i I don't want to use the old boy network because it's not an old boy network it's there is there is silos within our industry and unfortunately those silos are in some respects are poisonous for 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 moving the industry forward and i I think with this covid19 it's interesting because we are we are seeing some organisations who have always been very self-centred are now are now actually engaging with the wider community. We need we if you look at the likes of NIC, NAPIT, ECA, Select, JIB. These are all the organisations that are, that have the command and vote in, in, a, in the electrical industry. And the hardest thing for us as Sparkies on the ground is to appreciate that each one of those organisations is a commercial entity trying to tender um, and drive their own agenda. If that makes sense that they're there solely to make their business work. They're not there to cater for when you go into a property and you notice a a shoddy piece of work, these, these schemes aren't there to enforce that there isn't anybody to enforce that, but the industry thinks that they're there to enforce it. So they get bad press. Mm. So I think, I think that's probably the the inconsistencies in in our industry and that old boy network, although it's not an old boy network, is probably the worst thing. We need to get rid of that somehow. I'm not sure how, but we need to.
0: Yeah, that was probably going to be my next question. Do you think we're on the road to doing that?
1: Um, I I would have said no a few weeks ago, but I've personally been super impressed with um select at the moment up in scotland i have always said that uh, any company should engage with the, the wider community and they've always been the organization who are members this are members this and they've been very forceful but then i saw a video of their managing director dressed as scooby-doo taking his kids for a, taking his dog for a walk so he could go and see his grandkids without touching them in covid and i I just as soon as i saw that i thought that's how you engage with people you show that you have a personality you show that you have a heart and and yeah drive your business forward we've all got to do that and we're all trying to do that The, the aim of the game is engage kind of with the wider community and they're doing a fantastic job at the moment uh can we see this fixed yes anything that's broken can be fixed i think but It needs it needs everybody to kind of be on board and and point the ship in the right direction for it to to ever get there.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. Looking more to the future then, where do you see yourself going in years to come?
1: So TCW yesterday, um, I'm probably not allowed to say this out aloud, but I'm going to anyway because it's my company, so I'm allowed to. Um, yesterday we were notified in this awful time some fantastic news that we have just won the Global Excellence Award for Innovation, which is an international award across the whole world. Um, it's open to any PLC, literally any company in the world can apply for this, um, and the judges have picked us as the wow. the most interesting nomination. Um wow, well done that yeah it is good it's 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 nice, and I don't know how to promote it because I don't want people to think i'm I'm being sarcastic and cocky in this really bad time, but it for me, the hard work and 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 the rest of my team, what we've done to get us to this position we're we're looking to expand, we've got interest in Australia, we've got interest in America, and we don't just do electrical, although everybody in the electrical industry thinks it's an electrical product. Um, we're a data product we're a we're a, com- we're a software company that does compliance and we do a hell of a lot more than just electrical mm. so over the next few years we we will see that grow um we next kind of i'd like to think in in two or three years i'll have the company in a, in a couple of countries uh doing providing the same benefit that this country's getting but also with e5 we We are constantly asked to commercialize it. We're constantly asked to make it into a business. Uh, Paul will die before that'll happen. He will he will go to his grave before. And I support that 100%. There's no way that we'll ever do that. But we will go from strength to strength. I I believe that there'll be more, it will be more structured from a a membership perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, When I say membership, that sounds like it's going to be commercial, but it's not. What I mean there is it'll be more, it'll be tied together a little bit better than than just being a social media um persona at the moment we we've we've got a lot in the pipeline like i mentioned before so yeah. e5 will go from strength to strength uh anything i think they're the two they're my two main focuses really for the next few years
0: no it sounds like sounds fantastic um you know congratulations on the uh the award you know the software sounds like it's uh doing something nobody's done before and it's always people who lead the innovation. Um, You know, you should be very proud of that and celebrate the award because it's obviously taken
1: a lot of years of hard work. It's, it is like I say, the reason why I'm not a policeman is because I've got a big heart. And the reason why I don't stand up and shout is because a lot of my friends are losing their businesses at the moment. A lot of my friends are, so one, one of my friends was about to sell his business for millions and millions of pounds he's now had a meeting with his solicitor to talk about at what point does he does he go to administration and then he was in touching distance of retirement at a very young age and this is for me i i do want to stand up and shout because i've i've been to hospital three or four times thinking i'm having a heart attack because of the amount of stress i've gone through people people don't see the hard work it goes into building a business and and kind of the stress of having 14 people rely on the decisions you make to pay their mortgage is is a big stress to have on you so yeah when we get these awards when we when people kind of give us the thumbs up it's really nice and we want to stand up and shout about it but right now is probably not the right time because we need to support our friends and our colleagues to let's everybody get through this and then at the end of that then stand up and say oh by the way whilst the whole world was panicking while the whole world was on its on its knees tcw won a bloody award can you believe it and mm. um th- there'll be a time for it there will be a time for it i'm, I'm not sure now is the right time
0: yeah no yeah, i quite agree so more talking about the industry and things you enjoy then wh- what is one of the most things that you enjoy most about the industry
1: i i the thing that I'm love, loving seeing at the moment is, I call it, it's nice to be nice mentality. And um, there are, like you said before we we started recording this, it's nice to start talking to people who you would never have spoke to before. Yesterday, I clicked onto my social media, opened a Skype call, put a link in and just said, if anybody wants to chat, if anybody wants a new face to talk to, just a, a bit of a waffle, a bit of a rant, just click the link and come in and see me yes fair enough my wife told me the link didn't work but um the thought was there hopefully I'll fix that we'll do that again but hopefully it'll work next time um I jumped on a call with Tom Bickerton and I've never spoke to him before we've communicated on social media but over an hour's conversation I realized that guy's so much like me it's ridiculous and then as we speak and meet more people it's at the end of this, if we've spoke to a hundred people during this, and we've had this kind of conversation with a hundred people, at the end of this, your your network has grown by a hundred people who have your back and you have their back, and, and naturally we all we all benefit from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, yeah, I, I I love that at the moment. E5's brought that out in people, but it's good to see that people are starting to support rather than. Well, what's that what's the right word without swearing? Is there's a lot of people on social media over the last few years or the last few months to say it the least, is they've been taking pot shots at people. They fire from the hip. They 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 speak without doing any research in what they're seeing and it sometimes it makes them look stupid. That's kind of fizzling away at the moment, I can see it, and we're all starting to really support each other and, and that is it's really heartwarming to see.
0: Yeah, there's a camaraderie building, isn't there? 100%. Yeah, 100%.
1: yeah ho- Hopefully, I
0: think one of the, um, I think we've mentioned it probably a few times on this podcast, but when the IET event um, for electrical competence comes back and hopefully they reschedule that maybe later in the year, I think quite a few of the tickets were from all of us on social media and hopefully, yeah, we can all get a chance to meet up and have a coffee and and, and yeah. have a drink and a chat.
1: Yeah that was yeah I got the invite to that that was that meeting and that is from the back of that end that meeting I had in 2013 which I still have the agenda from so that's that's where that's been born from which yeah. is fantastic um the IET I think we we should it would be nice for the IET to engage a little bit more I don't know why they they don't uh, one of the proudest moments of my life was getting my fellowship um when I when I applied for that and and managed to get it it's such a nice feeling. I don't have it on my business cards. I have it on my emails, um, but I don't tell people. It's not on my LinkedIn account. Um, and the reason for it being is it's not for anybody else. It was for me to be peer assessed by other people very high up in the industry to give me the thumbs up to say, yes, mate, you are doing exactly what that criteria says you should be doing to, to mm-hmm. achieve that. It's like your CNG. The CNG is in London, it's a fantastic thing to have because a lot of people respect that in, in in London. You step outside of London, people don't really care about the letters after your name unless you're dealing with very big FM companies and so on. But for you personally, there's more of a there's more of a, a self gratitude than than look what I've got. Look, everybody else appreciate what I've got. It's no, I'm I'm appreciating what I've achieved because it's mm. not easy to get. Um, I will get round to filling in mine when I've yeah when I get some time. But it's uh, Paul keeps telling me that I'm that I'm an idiot for not filling mine in. But uh, it's the time, isn't it?
0: Yeah, no. It takes I've, a while. I've just done the fellowship application. Um, no, right, okay. Luckily, I went well. I went through it with Paul, so um, that went off about a week. Maybe maybe coming up two weeks ago, but I don't know. how with Cheers. Yeah, I don't know how well or how long that's actually going to take um, with, with what's going on. But I think, like you say, I think it, it's, it's not even about the recognition. I, I just want to be able to put myself in a position where if I can get the respect from peers high in the industry, try and make a difference and, like you say, commit time without getting paid to actually improving the industry. And if, even if that was only being a, a professional registration advisor to some actually highlighting where people can go in their career or helping them in some way then then that's what I'd like to do I think and like you say it'd be nice if there were a few more vocal people from the IET and maybe in the future I can be one of them who knows but it's just one of those things I think
1: yeah no it did the, the door's wide open for, for you to be there and um, they really appreciate Paul they appreciate everything he does so um it's about time Paul has somebody to compete against so why why can't that be you Oh,
0: I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> obviously we've spoken about like your your software and stuff but is there anything else you'd like to see introduced into the industry
1: oh no that is an interesting question what would i like to see introduced into the industry um the, the only thing i can think of is 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 you if you look at the competent person schemes now they call themselves the unofficial regulators and the fact that they call themselves unofficial regulators it means they've got absolutely zero clout because you can't be unofficial and a regulator. Mm. It would be really nice for Part P to be, um, I know this doesn't help from a commercial or, or from a, an industrial perspective, but for the commercial, for the competent person schemes now, it would be really nice for building regs Part P to be revamped. And for the government to appreciate that some aspect of that needs a little bit better enforcement. So when you look at standard regul, you look at building regulations, they're not they're not regulations as you and I know it that can be enforced legally. And um, they do. They I think they fall under what's called secondary legislation, mm. which is which is legislation that needs to be enforced by the local authority rather than a, a, a company like the HSE. And, the biggest problem we have in in the electrical industry is the fact that local authorities are there to enforce some aspect of it but that the local authorities are being told by every Tom, Dick and Harry that they need to make massive savings and secondary legislation or employees who are there to enforce secondary legislation are no longer employed in local authorities so they don't have anybody to enforce it. Uh, Local area building control within local authorities should be the person who issues prohibition notices, who issues enforcement notices against electrical contractors. But they they can't because they don't fully understand what their their duties are. And in most cases, they don't employ anybody who can understand it. So they then rely on the unofficial regulators to give them guidance. But those unofficial regulators are the companies that take money from the people they're meant to be enforcing. So they're going to give bad advice. They're not going to tell a local authority you should put a prohibition notice against um, one of our members. Because as soon as the local authority says the NIC or NAPIT has told us to give you this, they're going to say, well, hang on, don't I pay you an annual fee to support me? And now you're telling them to, to issue me a notice. It would be nice to see local authorities work closer with competent person schemes to have a little bit more strict notifications or strict enforcement to electrical safety, um, specifically within dwellings. I think that would that would help public safety. That would help electrical safety to no end, really. Yeah,
0: no, I'd agree with that. It's probably a um, a great point to, to finish on, to be perfectly honest. Do you have one last question? What is your favourite movie?
1: My favourite movie... Oh, what's my favourite movie? I would say it's either going to be... Um, the Shawshank Redemption or the Rocky movies. I could never pick one of the Rocky movies. Okay.
0: So which one are you going for? I'll let, I'll let you have the series if you want the series. Um... And why? More importantly.
1: So I like when he fights Ivan Drago, and I like the motivation, the training montage, and I like I've got that I've got the songs on my phone. So if I go, it's this is a really stupid fact that no one knows, and it's going to make me look stupid, but I don't <laughs> care. If I'm going to a meeting with somebody I don't like and who I feel is going to be a very difficult meeting to have, I get my phone and I'll do it now. I get my phone, I type in Rocky and then I open the rocky one, and I play this song. (laughs) Is that the
0: wood wood chopping montage? It is.
1: (laughs) So yeah, this song will play, and I'll go into that meeting, and I will win that meeting. If, I, like that. I like that and the, just to add to it um if it's a really bad meeting and they and these people i know i'm going in, i'm going in for a fight this is the song i play and this will make you laugh but this is the song i play if, if i know i'm going into a fight with somebody this is the song that comes on oh let me just fast forward it a bit <laughs> Can you name that movie?
0: Uh, I'd say Gangs of New York.
1: No. Oh, I can't name that movie. That is The Last of the Mohicans.
0: Oh, do you know what? I haven't seen that film.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is that Kevin Costner? No, it looks like Kevin Costner, but it's not him. Um, All right, Okay. But, yeah, there's... I like Rocky. Rocky series, that's probably my best one because uh, there's some music in there that really motivates me. So. All
0: right, that's, that's awesome. I'm going to see if I can find some music to end this podcast on it. Nice. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, thank you for your time today, Ryan. No, thank good. you
1: very much. Yeah, cheers for that. And thank you everyone for listening.